New York's longest running sports call-in show returns. Andrew Posadas, Jimmy Sullivan here with you. And we got to keep the discussion going on the New York Knicks. So it's our pleasure to bring in our next guest. He is a contributor for Knicks Film School and the Strickland. You can find him on Twitter at The Coincidence, Jeremy Cohen. Jeremy, welcome to One on One. Thanks so much for having me, fellas. Appreciate it. And Jeremy, let's get right into it because the Knicks currently are in fourth place. They head into the weekend 33-27, and 27, that big win against the Atlanta Hawks. Uh, just from a Knicks fan's perspective, what can you say about this roller coaster ride this season uh, for the New York Knicks? Totally unexpected and <laughs> completely welcomed. I mean, I was expecting to go into this year with, all right, well, the Knicks will focus on development. There'll be some sort of maybe top 10 pick that can be in play. Um, really just build the foundation and go from there. And instead, it's just turned into this monster growth for all of their key players. I mean, the idea that Julius Randle could go from someone who was consistently turning the ball over and scoring inefficiently to the engine that powers a team that, as you said, is in fourth place. Um, or R.J. Barrett being able to kind of rediscover his shot in a way that really transforms him into a fantastic catch-and-shoot player and someone who can create it as well. Just the, the two-way potential that he's showing is, is staggering. So when you have those two kind of leading the pack and all these other guys rebounding and, and really buying into the system to create a winning product, you can't ask for much more. Jeremy, you're talking about Julius Randle, and there's an interesting debate that's sort of popping up in you know kind of small circles. Do you look at him as an MVP candidate at this point in the season? There's been, I've seen a little discussion about that, not a lot, but a little discussion about that. Do you see him in that echelon of players this year with what he has done and how he has really driven this Knicks resurgence to where they are now at fourth in the East? You know, the one thing about the MVP award that always bugs me is I feel like it's it's two different things. Is it either the best player in the, in the NBA or in your league, or you're the most valuable to your team versus where other players? You know, I mean, LeBron James, incredible player, but how much does he mean to the Lakers versus how they're doing without him? That sort of thing. And with Randall, if you take him off the Knicks, they're a shell of an organization. Um, it, it's just that's just how good he has been. So when the Knicks were as good as they were and Carmelo Anthony had that lone MVP vote, I understood it because he is what made them so good. And I see similar with Randall. I think that it's fair for him to be in the conversation. Uh, he won't win. He shouldn't win. I believe Jokic should absolutely be the clearer cut front runner. Um, but, you know, in that sort of sense, it would be lovely to see him get that recognition. Uh, I'll, st I'll be happy with all NBA, but, but I do agree. I, I see why there is reason and rationale behind why he should at least be in that, like, you know, one or two vote consideration based on what he's contributing. Jeremy, it was interesting because earlier this week, Shaq made some comments about the New York Knicks saying that they aren't back just yet and they'd have to host a first round playoff series in order to be back in his eyes. I mean, for every sports fan, a team being back, it's subjective. So in your opinion, do you believe right now at this moment that the Knicks are back? I do. You know, I think to me, back in a lot of ways means relevancy. Um, for so long, we've seen the Knicks just kind of be one of the doormats of the NBA and the punching bags. And I, I didn't really understand his comments in terms of it because it felt like he was moving the goalposts. And I'm glad Candace Parker was there yeah. to kind of say, like, this is a team that was supposed to be terrible. And the fact that they're now not even in the conversation for the moment to not only uh, get past the playing tournament, but actually host a, a, a playoff series. Just even being in that conversation to me shows 
how far this team has come in, in even just a short time with Tom Thibodeau being the coach. So uh, to me, it seemed a little crazy that, that that's the case, but I do believe the Knicks are back and they still have, you know, they still have steps to take in order to be a legitimate contender. But the way I look at it is if the Nets can go 42 and 40 and be the sixth seed um, and then sign two incredible players, if the Lakers can be, I think they won 37 games the year before LeBron joined, if they can sign him, if the Clippers were the eighth seed before um, Kawhi and Paul George were able to team up, then clearly there's something going on that's successful. And, and it shows that those teams can show promise in coming back. Then why can't the Knicks be back? Jeremy, I think you touched on a very good point there, which is what the Knicks do from here. They're going to be a playoff team at least at the end of this season, barring anything really crazy. Uh, but, you know, no, no one is under any illusion that this team is necessarily going to compete for a title this year. So in your eyes, you, you talk about the uh, moves that the Knicks can make going into the future. What are some of those moves that you would like to see to help the Knicks go from competitive and you know making the playoffs and grinding out games to a team that could potentially contend in the Eastern Conference or even for an NBA title I would say the you know this summer it's not a great free agent class if we're assuming that a player like Kawhi Leonard stays in Los Angeles then it becomes even more um, kind of bare so to me the idea of kind of just keeping the course, staying flexible, finding an upgrade at the point, even if it's on a short-term deal, uh, and then hitting that 2022 class where, you know, you've got some great marquee names there um, and, and kind of just trying for that and then being able to use your assets to then bring in another guy if you are able to, you know, if you are willing to part with some other players in terms of salary, making quantity turn it into quality, that's another option. So, you know, I think really just if the Knicks are able to, even with a player like Alfred Payton, be able to succeed and even in spite of the minutes he's producing, that just making a modest upgrade should benefit the Knicks to such a high degree. So, you know, eventually they're going to need some sort of star in the backcourt. And hopefully Emmanuel quickly can develop into something consistent as well, if not towards that type of player. Um, but really getting that uh, drive and kick shooting um, half court playing defensive minded, or at least can play defense uh, guard. That's going to be so pivotal to how this team can build around Randall around Barrett and any other players that kind of come their way. You're talking with Jeremy Cohen and Jeremy, it's crazy because I didn't think at any point this season that I'd be talking to a guest about this, but the Knicks look like they will be in the playoffs. And when you talk about first round matchups, how vital is it for the Knicks to stay there in that four or five matchup and maybe draw a team like the Hawks, you know, who are still young and inexperienced or maybe Boston who has been coming on, but have still shown inconsistencies throughout the season, as opposed to finishing sixth or seventh and having to see the Sixers or Giannis and the Bucks. How vital do you think it is to finish there at least in fourth or fifth? I think it's crucial uh, just in the sense of, you know, I, from a Nick as a Knicks fan, I'm not really terrified of any teams. There are some teams that probably would give me more agita than not, but the idea of facing the Hawks or the heat or the Celtics, as you mentioned, uh, versus going in to play the bucks. And I know that people have uh, joked before about the bucks in terms of the playoffs and how they're able to do, but again, there's something about the bucks that always kind of terrifies me in terms of how they're able to turn it on. You've got a, a Knicks team where, most of these players have not gotten any playoff uh, action in their careers. So 
facing another team that is uh, maybe similar or at least from the Hawks perspective, or at least uh, teams that might be a little down in terms of uh, how they've been playing with the Celtics or the heat. Uh, to me, that is far more crucial than finishing sixth or even at seventh, then you, you're in playing tor- uh, territory. So if you don't win that game, then you're fighting for the eighth seed. And if you lose that, then you're out of the playoffs as well. So uh, locking in that ability to, you know, whether it's home court advantage at four or just playing a, um, an inferior team compared to that big three at five, that to me is, is completely crucial. Jeremy, you're talking about a, a Knicks team that's inexperienced in terms of it being in the playoffs. And I find it interesting that over the course of this winning streak, they have played a lot of games that have almost felt like playoff games. I don't know if you feel the same way, but the intensity level, uh, the game that went to overtime earlier this week against Atlanta, do you think games like that, that we have seen recently from the Knicks, high intensity level, close games down the stretch, do you think that benefits this team heading into the playoffs, being that they've seen that level of intensity and they've played those kinds of games, especially in Madison Square Garden? hundred percent. And the idea as well that the Knicks are even playing competitively down the stretch, I think is another um, key th- element. You know, I mean, to think that for some teams that have been eliminated, like the Rockets or the Timberwolves, uh, now is basically the time of, all right, well, it's April or almost May. We can kind of just wrap things up. The season's over. We'll hit it next year. And for the Knicks, it's no, we're, we're in the thick of things. We're absolutely competing. Uh, and we've got a real shot of getting home court advantage. So being able to be in that atmosphere to see the garden alive, especially, I mean, I should mention how crucial Derek Rose has been to all of this and the ability to really lead this team, especially down the stretch uh, in crunch time. So having these players that are kind of collectively buying in and, and working with each other. And and the, the fact that the defense is so good and kind of keeping things together, you know, the playoffs and the regular season, things are called a little bit differently, but the way that this team is structured they're going to have what I think is a good time in terms of um, being in the playoffs where they can, they can kind of rise that occasion. So yeah, this is giving them great experience for when the moments get bigger, uh, when, when things are a little bit more important, but it's, it's definitely playing into the fact of how they're able to kind of bring it all home and, and, and do what they're doing right now. Jeremy, when we think about coach of the year, I think everyone's talking about Quinn Snyder and Monty Williams, respectively, and rightfully so. But I think those two teams, uh, especially the Jazz, they were expected to make the playoffs and be one of the better teams in the West. When you think about what Coach Tibbs has done with these Knicks and the expectations, as you mentioned at the beginning of this interview, do you think that gives Coach Tibbs a leg up in the coach of the year race? And what do you think if the Knicks can finish through this six uh, game road trip, if they can get through that break even and find themselves as the fourth seed come playoff time, do you think that secures coach of the year for coach Tibbs? I'd like to think so. But at the end of the day, I still kind of think that Monty Williams probably has the best case. You know, I mean, this was a Suns team that entered the bubble um, just floundering. They won eight games in a row led to Chris Paul. And now they've kind of all elevated their own games. And we know how great Chris Paul is. And, I'm sure there's also, um, you know, Monty Williams has a, a really compelling personal narrative, unfortunately, based on, on his circumstances and, and his ability to kind of rise above that and have a team that is this close to being the best in the NBA. I, I think that's uh, that could put him over the top. But for Tibbs, you know, yes, I think the fact of even though people may say it's a it's a lesser conference and if you've got teams struggling due to COVID, whatever it might be, uh, Tibbs has certified himself as a, a crucial and great coach and I would love to see him get the recognition uh, I think 
finishing with home court advantage would certainly help uh, improve his case. But at the same time, I just think that it's possible the competition is just better than the case that he has presented. Jeremy, I want to backtrack a second. You were, you were talking about Derek Rose before, and I think that's a very important point to bring up in this, because when the Knicks traded for Derek Rose in early February, I think there was a lot of skepticism among Knicks fans that it was going to work, that it was going to cut into Emmanuel Quickly's minutes, for example, and a lot of fans didn't want that. Obviously, that has not been the case. It's worked out really well for the Knicks. Why do you think going out, getting Derek Rose – having him kind of mentor Emmanuel quickly along. Why do you think that's been so successful for the Knicks in the last couple of months? I would have to think Tibbs plays a huge part. You know, the, the relationship that Rose and Tibbs have is just, it's something that I don't think is, is very often. It's, it's a rare relationship and the ability for him to kind of come in. And I believe the Knicks are around 17 and seven as of this moment uh, for when Rose is playing. Um, and so, you know, him guiding that offense and really finding his game again I think that when you're playing in an environment like Detroit and you know that he went into the season knowing his goal was to be a mentor for Killian Hayes and he was doing just that, but then they realized it was time for a change and bringing him here where he's even I mean, quickly he's even, I believe playing better statistically with Rose. So having someone just guide younger players on and off the court, the connection between Rose and Toppin uh, has been fantastic. Obi really needs someone who can, push it and transition and find him. And Rose has been that, you know, for lack of a better word, that engine for that second unit and playing uh, down in the last five minutes of games. So his ability to kind of just fill in for that role uh, has been staggering. And I love it. I, at first I was a little anxious about the idea of trading for him. And then when I learned about the price and what it costs, I was like, Oh, that's, that's okay. We can take that. That's totally fine. And it's worked out since. Jeremy, I know we've had a lot of Knicks talk, but before we get you out of here, I do want to talk about the other team in town, the Brooklyn Nets, and they've only had their trio of Kevin Durant, James Harden, Kyrie Irving for seven games this season, but yet they're 40 and 20 and a half a game up on the Philadelphia 76ers after beating Boston on Friday night. What do you make about what Brooklyn's been able to do without their team fully intact? And how much importance do you put on them having to, keep that big three healthy and not have them compromised heading into the playoffs. It's been impressive. The ability to kind of keep it all together, despite a lot of adversity that they've been facing. Um, you know, it will be very fascinating to see how these stars are able to gel come playoff time. Um, certainly the three of them are very uh, battle tested. They know what it's like to win in the playoffs. I'm sure that they trust each other, but how do you, how do you create chemistry when you just haven't really had that opportunity and, and there are other players that you have to work with as well. So, uh, you know, when Harden was out for even more time, that, that certainly felt like a blow given that I feel he's been their most consistent player. He's been the best player on their team for what he's been able to show. So I I'm really eager to see how they're going to rebound from this because it's not going to be easy, but again, I think if you just trust your talent, they'll get kind of far. He is a contributor for Nick's Film School and the Strickland. You can catch him on Twitter at The Coincidence. He is Jeremy Cohen. Jeremy, appreciate the time. Thank you for joining us here on One on One. Thank you, guys.